Feather the brake and get back to the gas. Dan and Dirk are headed into turn three on the front stretch. Welcome back to the front stretch, heading into turn number three. And it's time to sit down with this weekend's Legends of the Dirt Series, presented by Kaziski Auto Parts at 51st and I Street in Omaha. Just uh, earlier this week, we sat down at Quaker Steak and Loop and talked to three of the local legends. And one of them is the one we're going to feature today, the eight ball of Glenn Roby. And we started off the conversation by asking Glenn how this whole thing got started. Well, it all started, uh, I, uh, I picked up the, uh, an old 34 Ford two-door coach. And uh, it was just something that I was ramming around on the on the street with it. I had it. I had another car that that I uh, drove, but I kind of liked that old beater Ford. And uh, I, it, that old beater Ford it ended up being my first race car that I had over at Playland Park. <laughs> huh. So that's the one you ended up. What year was that? That that was 1949. 1949. What year was the car? What uh, the, oh, the Ford? What year was it? It was a 1934 Ford two-door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are beautiful cars. Well, you see some of those here at Quaker Steak and Lube on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. Oh, People yeah. get to restore them. Do you have you ever have you seen that car in the in the recent years? Do you know what happened to it? No, the only one that uh, the only one that I really know where it's still at. Uh, I was uh, I had a 1934 Hudson that. Uh, I drove quite a few years through them days, and and uh, and it uh, got passed around. I sold it, and it traveled around the area. And and even though I sold it, I kind of wish I hadn't because I won a lot of races with the thing, and it ended up out at McCook, hmm. and in a in a salvage yard, and and it was up for sale along the fence, and uh, they uh, so. I went out there and took a look at it, and I thought, well, maybe I'd buy it back, and it was really kind of bad shape then. But I thought, well, I'd get a steel pole, and then I'd put it up and just have some advertisement put on it. Yeah. And anyhow, uh, I didn't want to pay the amount of money that the guy wanted for it, and so I passed on it. But then about a week later, I had a representative from Speedway Motors uh, come and say that, uh, that they would like to get that car for Bill Smith and uh, and put it in their museum. And uh, that just made me real, real happy. And so they did uh, they did get it and put it in there. And they didn't make it look all fancy or nothing. They kind of pretty much left it all nasty. They did paint my old eight ball on it. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the whole thing is about, this is the way old race cars die. and. And so here it is sitting on, on green, fake uh, grass, a little skunk crawling out from underneath the thing, <laughs> oil cans laying around on the thing, and, and, it's, and it's boarded off where you can't go up and touch it, but you can walk right by it and see yeah. all about it. And so when he did that, I, I, I couldn't have been happier because I was so proud to have owned that car that uh, it made me feel good yeah well, I, I i can only reach a little close to you with that with you know everyone's got that first car that they mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. i remember my old uh gmc i think it was a sierra uh that it was just it was a pile of junk truck but man it got me up and down the road and i love that truck and I, I would pay good a good penny these days to find out where that truck is and yeah. get it back because there's there's a lot of memories to that that first vehicle and that probably that first race car for you 
We'll talk about some of those first years, the, the beginning years, getting to learn the track. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people that are, are alive today know you as, as the legend that, that won plenty, but there was probably that learning curve when you were racing at Playland and then over at, speed, at, uh, at, at Sunset. Well, really, when, when we first started over there, you know, it was strictly stock cars. There's no, no modifications, nothing you couldn't improve on the engine or anything. And, and, and second off, none of us knew how to make it go around the corner, you know. And uh, so we was always trying a lot of really stupid things, you know. And, no. and some of them worked and some of them didn't. And, uh, but it, it, if it went better, okay, yeah, that worked pretty good. But uh, if, it, if it, it didn't, well, that is no good. We'll take, we'll take that back off. Yeah. But that's uh, was just a, a lot of learning, and, and it, it never stopped. It just kept advancing more and then, and then you switch from the coupes to the to a, a late model almost like what they are now except there weren't the chassis factories like there are now you know you were building your chassis in your garage but it was still another big learning curve right yeah our, when we finally did uh, go over to the other style car you know with the uh, with the uh, coil spring front ends and stuff there again we had to learn to figure out what it took to make them go around the corner and uh, and then as they went on yeah then you then your bottom chassis started coming in and and you had quite a few really reliable builders that was making cars but still you had to bring them home and you still had to uh, work with them and uh, and uh, nobody talks to you a lot because they they don't want to help you too much because you might beat them, you know. Or and I didn't talk too much either. If I found something out. But. Well, and the, and there, what what is hard to for me to fathom, and I'm sometimes slower than the average bear, that there wasn't anybody before you for a lot of this stuff. You you guys were the pioneers. When you're talking about trying something new and it works, so you stuck with it, or you mm-hmm. tried something new and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. There was nobody that had a notebook before you. No. You know, these, these guys today have, have it pretty easy because of you. When they walk into a racetrack, they've got a notebook thanks to somebody else that raced there or their chassis manufacturer or whatever it could be. They've got a notebook because you guys pioneered that, and, and you're the ones that learned those ins and outs. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it was. You just uh, uh, just tried this uh, a little bit and, and did that, but you usually didn't do a whole lot of talking. Uh, to your competitors because uh, it was tough enough to beat them uh, sometimes uh, without mm-hmm. without them getting any of something that you might have figured out. But it was pretty friendly, though. I mean, you and, oh. and your competitors, you guys, you didn't talk about racing, but you guys were all good friends. Oh, all the time. We'd, we'd help one another or, or if, if somebody needed a part because uh, uh, something broke on their car or, or whatever. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd help back right. and forth that's why he bought a bar so you guys would all have a place to drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you you want a bar now how long have you been in the, in the bar business uh I, I bought the alpine in in may may 1st 1973 wow wow that's 44 years that's good math i, I wouldn't have got there that quick <laughs> nowhere near that quick but that's your generation you guys were always good at math i, I unfortunately i yield to the calculator too many times and and i don't have that book smarts uh, you said Playland Speedway. That's where you started racing. First couple of years, was were you exclusive to Playland, or did you kind of spread around a little bit? Oh, there was a couple of little uh, little tracks that cropped up. Uh, 
Uh, even right in Council Bluffs, there was the one down by the South Omaha Bridge. Uh, the name of that place was the Blue Heron. Yep. And they carved that out just out of a, a field there, and it was a mosquito pit. And, <laughs> and uh, you, you, the time you got out of there in the summertime, sometimes you need a transfusion to <laughs> You were a court low? <laughs> the engine and the body. <laughs> I can imagine Nebraska City was probably like that, too. Probably Nebraska City was terrible. It was really bad. And then up the one up uh, in Bayanoa, uh, it was along the river also. And the mosquitoes was pretty bad around there, too. Now, Sunset was really a, an ideal place. It was high on the hill. You always had a nice breeze there. And you kind of kept the mosquitoes uh, weren't so bad. And... and uh, I tell you, the guy was, was really smart, uh, too, when they, when they built the place, because uh, we weren't going very fast, you know, back, back in the day. But they had, the, they had the, the walkway in front of the grandstand kind of narrow, and, and the people got a chance to sit kind of close up to the track, and it seemed like uh, to them we was going fast. Yeah. And it's when a, you, yeah. Yeah. When you, get the, when you get the seats back away from the track, then... We're going a lot faster yet now, but it, it don't look quite as yeah. much. And, and, and Playland, remember, remind me, was an asphalt track, right? They did that. Uh, uh, it was dirt when it started. Okay. Yeah, and it, when the dirt when it started, and then, see, I got drafted and ended up going to Korea. Uh, and when I come home from there in 1953, they had asked, they'd blacktopped it. And uh, and I went back over there that that spring, and and we did not have asphalt tires. Uh, we was using everything we could find, and, and there was one recapper, uh, uh, boiling tire. Uh, he took a, a, and made a matrix so he could make a, a something that resembled a asphalt slick, but it. Uh, wasn't the right rubber yeah it was just not the right stuff and so you did a lot of sliding around on that asphalt and if a little bit of water got spilled on it you know you you, you just for sure probably was going to go around uh, so it wasn't very good and I, I couldn't i just couldn't wait until he opened up sunset <laughs> <laughs> And when did Sunset open up? That was uh, early 1957. The guy knows it like the back of his hands. You really couldn't wait, could you? Well, that uh, that uh, yeah, I, I liked uh, I liked that real well, and and uh, that clay was was a little bit uh, tricky, and and it would get dry slick, and and uh, you had to treat it with a little care. But uh, it was a good, fun place to, to race for many, many years. Yeah, what I liked about it back then, and I can remember going there in 62, mm-hmm. 63 and stuff, is how the cars entered on the front straightaway. Mm-hmm. You know, they had that fence, and they'd come out. So, you, I mean, you got to see you were eight foot away from that race car going by. That As a four- or five-year-old kid, that was pretty cool. Well, yeah. yeah you bet. It, uh, it was kind of a sad thing, uh, but, you know, the, uh, the people uh, wanted uh, the race track gone because it was expanding the, uh, the housing development, housing and everything course. around there, yeah. and and they got offered a reasonable, good amount of money for the thing, and and they still owned the property. They yeah. didn't have to give up the land. They just wanted it down. Cease and desist. Yep. Well, and it, you know, we we we've had you on the show with a little sunset uh, reunion show and and talking about that stuff, and it 
it's unfortunate. You can look at the situation and you say, boy, I sure wish it, they wouldn't have made that deal, but then you can't blame them because it had been take the paycheck or you'd have been forced out. You know, it, it, progress was going to end that track regardless. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it just does make uh, a lot of the other tracks like down in Lincoln, Midwest, Speedway, uh, it, it, it's, it's gone. Uh, um, though there was another one, too, on, on, on 27th. Uh, it's gone. And, well, and most recently, they closed the state fairgrounds in Des Moines. Yeah. They're going to redo a bunch go. of stuff with yeah. that. Well, and U.S. 30 is gone now. Uh, back to your career just a little bit. Let's talk about some of your, your favorite memories. And we'll, we'll start at Playland. Uh, some of your favorite memories from there. Do, do you have a couple that, that you can that you just like to sit back in your recliner and remember? Well, at Playland, uh, you know, I, I never ever really set the world on fire over there, but we was we was always pretty competitive. But uh, uh, as far as is uh, feature wins and stuff like that, they was they was hard to come by. I didn't really have a good place to work on the car because my my dad uh, he operated a, a standard service station and uh, he, he didn't even have an enclosure. It was a had an open hoist and oh really yeah and so and he he did buy me a, a, a an old chain hoist that I could hang in the tree so I could uh, get the motor in and out and but that was a big a big help. And uh, but it was it was hard it was hard work. And, and yep. if you said it, I apologize, I missed it. But what age did you start start really racing at? I was uh, nineteen. Forty. Uh, okay. I was nineteen, going on twenty-three. <laughs> 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 so so it, it, over it, Playland, did you see any good fights over there? I've heard some famous fights at Playland. Oh, yeah. There was there was a few. There was yeah. <laughs> when you get rubbing and racing a little bit, you know, your tempers get hot. And, and uh, yeah, there's, sometimes they'd, they'd actually get into it a little bit, but most of the time it'd be a, a, a shouting contest and, and uh, everybody would go on about their business and, and it was over with. And, and nowadays when we see in-car cameras, we see these full enclosed seats. You know, NASCAR, the, car, the driver can hardly move. Here locally at Dirt Track, it's a, it's a little more... It's a little less confined, but they're still enclosed seats. You guys had bucket seats. I mean, they were basically just right off the, the factory line. We we raced with anything we could find to bowl in there that even looked like a seat. Uh, I know one time I, I went over to the uh, off at Air Base uh, after World War II, and there was a there was a, a seat out of a, 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 a trainer, a plane, and, and it was a. a mostly fiberglass or, yeah. or plywood and uh, but it had the hookups on the side for the seat belt and everything and I thought this would be really good until until I got banged into uh, on the on the back side of uh, Sun uh, Playland Park and hit the guardrail and my my car stopped going when it hit the fence but my rear end kept going knocked the side of the side of the seat out so i says well the plywood just isn't just gonna do it yeah i'm, I'm supposed oh. to ask you about being roped in your car well that was on the same time when the when the seat broke my older brother he must not like me very well because he went out to the trunk of his car and he got about 30 feet of rope and come back and had that all wound around me all around and uh, yeah, I was, I, I was going to be able to stay in there then, but 
I got thinking afterwards, what if this thing would have caught on fire? <laughs> I, I don't think it would have got out very good. They didn't give you a knife to get out? No. The <laughs> rope would have burned. The rope would have burned eventually. But, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but that is one of the stupid things that when you're really wanting to do something, you're willing to try it. You overlook those little things. Just got to try it. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk about the later years and the, the, uh, as the sun setting in your career and what you've been doing over the last couple of years to keep yourself busy. We'll be back here on the Front Stretch. It's checkers or wreckers as we enter turn four on the Front Stretch, presented by Joe's Carding and Council Bluffs. Welcome back to the Front Stretch. Heading into turn number four, continuing our conversation with the uh, Kaziski Auto Parts Legends of the Dirt Series. Today we're talking with the one and only Glenn Roby, driver of the eight ball. Where'd that number come from? Well, all right, the, the first 34 Ford I had uh, uh, was my first stock car, and when I went down and signed up at Abe Selesky's uh, office uh, to get my number, number eight happened to be open. Well, no, nobody's got a professional painter back then, if the old hand brush and just here, here, here we go. And so I figured, well, eight would be pretty easy, just make two circles and <laughs> hook them together. And, and uh, and so we took I took eight and uh, went up to my brother's house and uh, and his his wife was there and we was all uh, just talking a little bit around the, around the car and and, uh, and my sister-in-law said why don't we just trick that up just a little bit call it eight ball and so put a circle around that eight and so oh, well that sounds all right and so they did that and then on the back. She hand wrote out L I L little eight ball, hmm. and it's a, it it was on that car. Well, know. at least you didn't tell me if you were from Iowa, you would have said, "Well, I had a thirty-four, so I added the three and the four, and I came up with that number eight, and that's what I was." <laughs> well, that would have worked. <laughs> we may not be able to count, but we can win football games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's an eternal bickering between between Dirk and I on our football teams, and and right now I've. I think this is the first time in history my team's been able to brag a little bit. But no, we got coach of the year. You didn't. <laughs> UFC did, <laughs> or UCF, or whatever it is. Anyways, uh, back to uh, talking about Glenn Roby. I always get a kick out of those stories about how the uh, the number came about, and that's kind of funny to me that you just looked at the sheet and you said, well, that would be easy to, to paint onto the side of a car, so let's go with that. Right. And, and then it becomes such an iconic number. Well, it just uh, it was easy, and then when you got – professional painters then you know is it uh, it was all good there too you yeah. know and, and it just it just stuck with me all them years and in fact uh, now that uh, this last year uh, the guy I had a different guy and I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that but uh, uh, driving driving my cars and uh, and uh, he had a different number that he had uh, campaigned uh, for years and uh, uh, so we was having a pretty tough time on whether we were going to use his number or going to use my number. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after a lot of haggling and uh, stuff, uh, we finally decided, okay, we can live with this. Uh, his number uh, is 77. Yep, and you're talking about Corey Dumper. You're more than welcome to talk about all okay. this stuff. That's, that's his number fun. is 77. Yep. But if you get up close to, to my car and look at it, You'll see them sevens are, are plumb full of eight balls. <laughs> and I said, well, we can go with that. Well, and, and that's kind of a tricky thing. You know, you talk about these numbers. 
some drivers, they don't mean anything. Some drivers, they mean the world. And that eight is a legendary number. I know, like, uh, friends of the show, Andrew Kaziski couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of that 53. And for the time being, he drove the 2X, which was his grandpa's car. Well, and, and now the 53 is all full of 2Xs. Right. And, you know, it's, you it, that's a, it's, so it's a, it's a tough conversation to say, you know, Corey's really mm-hmm. made that 77-something. But then there's the 8, and he's driving your car. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just... Uh, it's just something that just, uh, you know, it's been associated with uh, with the Roby family and, mm-hmm. and everything all the years. And and uh, it just took a little while to make get a solution. In l- later years, racing at Sunset, really enjoying that track. You talked about it during the last ter- turn. You, you really liked the track. And, and, and its location in Omaha was very suitable for comfortable racing and comfortable fans. Talk a little bit more about that track and some of your favorite times there. Well, just uh, they had, uh, you know, they always had a lot of a lot of people coming in from uh, for some big races, you know. There was a few uh, times during the season where they would have a hundred lapper and, uh, and a bunch of the guys from over in eastern Iowa would come in and, that, and them guys, you know, they were they really was up on their game, and when they come out there, and they usually trim us up pretty good. You uh, you had to have an awful good car to beat them, but uh, there was some of the boys that uh, done all right. But uh, it it was hard. But uh, it, so you had a, a a mixed batch of people coming in to that track because it was so well known. It was coming from here from. Grand Island and out west in, in Nebraska, up from Norfolk and everywhere. So you've got a mixture of everybody coming to that track at yeah. some time or another. Go back to that a little bit. You, mm-hmm. you talk about you're only as good as your competition. And when those other guys would come in, I think you mentioned uh, Iowa, when they would come in from that state, that, uh, that you would realize that you know the, their level is, is just a little bit above yours. Or, or they, they would put a licking on you guys, as, as you kind of said, that... How did you step your game up after that? Well, you just you just try harder, but you know then there, you, you, it's hard to gain because they're learning things too. Mm. And then I'll tell you another thing: the guys that, that would come up from up in, up in the Dakotas come down, and they was they was pretty tough too. They uh, had a pretty good batch of cars. Yeah. Do you ever go up there and race with those guys to try to get a little bit different I went, experience? I went up to. Uh, to uh, uh, place up in uh, uh, northern Iowa, uh, Spencer, and that was a big old flat, dusty half mile track. Yeah. And I went up there year after year, and they just beat my tail feathers off. <laughs> and uh, you know, so right toward the end, uh, I was still on gasoline and. Uh, and most of them guys was running methanol, and and it was on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was real dusty, and, and cars was wrecking and wrecking and wrecking, and and it was yellow flag, yellow flag, yellow flag, and here I am with a full big nice good tank of gas, and they was running out of alcohol, and they was <laughs> falling off along the side, and they'd roll to a stop, and I thought. Man, I beat that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, anyhow, uh, th- that last time I was up there, I-, I didn't win it, but it 
if it would have been much farther, I would have. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I did win enough money that uh, that uh, um, I my youngest daughter uh, she got a helicopter ride out of it. I, I, I got paid for her a helicopter ride, and and we always enjoy going up there. But uh, if any place that I ever got beat up, boy, that place beat me up bad. <laughs> You kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you, you talked about those some of those guys that run a methanol and you also run a gasoline. And it kind of got to me thinking, like, how many different changes in, in racing you've seen in, in your time? I mean, it's mm-hmm. you've gone from, like you talked about, the cars, mm-hmm. you basically got them out of the, the used car lot or the junk lot, mm-hmm. and, and you really didn't do much to them, to now only a couple of classes, maybe two, I suppose three, really actually look like an on on the interstate kind of a car. Mm-hmm. It's completely changed. And it's a whole different sport now. Oh, definitely. It's, yeah, it's uh, of course we've been doing it, you know, for for quite a few years, and and uh, yeah, they have just completely switched over to uh, hardly anybody. Nobody goes to the salvage yard hardly now, and 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 prepares a car. Yeah. If you don't have a a Boughton chassis and uh, the technology uh, that's into those and and the 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 good steel and all the working components that you can bolt onto it you haven't you haven't got a chance yeah it, 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 do you think that's kind of a shame i mean i don't want to talk bad about it there's plenty of people that are doing that on facebook cuz i do enjoy racing today but then there is a time when you think like well the you know, there is an argument to be made that the little man can't go out and buy a car for a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars and stand a chance. They've, they've got to put more and more money into this whole thing. Well, it, it is. That's for sure. Because, uh, because you know, if you want to be competitive, you, you, you've got to just about do that. And you might be, you might be a, a step or two behind them yet. And, but if you try hard enough, once in a while, once in a while you can, you can get to the front. But... But yeah, it's hard to have a brand new car each and every year with the, all the upgraded uh, uh, components each and every year. Right now, the big thing on the whole car right now is the shock absorbers. Yeah. The shock absorbers right now uh, uh, cost way more than than the whole car cost just a short time back. Yeah, and it's and it's a shame because it. The guys who are making money off the sport mm-hmm. are realizing that's where the money is, so and, and it, it increases. Mm-hmm. Oh, they need shocks? Well, instead of uh, $600, what this should cost, it's, it's now $1,000 mm-hmm. because that's what people, yeah. because that's, that's what I say. What about the time you uh, kind of borrowed your brother's motor? <laughs> that's a good grin. That, uh, <laughs> that was kind of a touchy question. Uh-oh. Uh, well, my younger brother... Had a brand new '57 Chevy uh, V8, and uh, he still owed money and uh, everything. And I had a '32 Chevy Coupe that I had a wild dream about uh, taking it up and racing it at the Iowa State Fair clear back in the old Coupe days. And so then they had a race out at, at sunset, and it uh, was a race of run what you brung. So it was pretty much open. Yeah, bring whatever you want. We took that 57 Chevy motor out of there and had, had a, you know, the, the power package to, with the four barrel and everything and put it in that little 32 Ford uh, Chevy and, and uh, it, it, it just uh, run real good and, and I run it two or three times and I, I won just about every time I run that car. 
but my dad was not very happy. <laughs> he was holding the mortgage. <laughs> and you, did you borrow that motor from your brother? Did you quote unquote borrow it? Requisition? What word would you use? Uh, he, I borrowed it, but he, it, with his consent, because he he kind of wanted to do it too, but uh, but <laughs> but Dad didn't really want that. Dad didn't. Want, did no. your brother ever race? Uh, no. Were you the only one in your family? My older brother, my older brother Vern, yeah, he he run a little bit, but not just uh, maybe four or five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was it kind of a, a family thing where the brothers would come and help you in the pits, or your dad, or, or anything like that. Oh yeah, my dad. Uh, yeah, he was always uh, helping me with tires. You know, just old stock uh, size tires yeah. running on the street that would fit a. Uh, a 34 Ford or a 40 Ford or whatever and uh, things like that but uh, and he'd probably help me trying to get the motors motors together a little bit and so but motors now yeah I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about motors or oh, not. You, there's no holding back on <coughs> this show talk well, about the illegal ones okay well all them all them years that I've always pretty much did most all all of my own motor work you know i used to have my own repair shop and stuff and and i would i would have to i would have to go to a machine shop to get maybe the the boring done and yeah. and some of the machine work done that way but i did most all of them and last year i had the worst year with motors that i've ever had in my whole career we broke five motors last year, oh. and uh, and they had some pretty good stuff in them. And but uh, but people come up to me and said, "What's going on?" I says, "I don't know, but I'm the guy that you got to look at because yeah. I'm the guy that put it together." Well, and, and this is the the frustrating thing, you know. You mm. talk about you're the guy that put it together, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these engine manufacturers check clears the bank, and 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 you're you're just a name on a sheet. They they don't they don't really care. Your your yeah. engine blows. Yeah. Well, you're a customer again. I'll sell you another engine, oh, but they, yeah. you know, yeah. some of them will back up their their stuff. But that's yeah. a very critical part of the yeah. of the car, obviously. That it, it you know, it yeah. makes it go and go fast and go long. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it that that's got to be really tough to to see that many engines oh, let yeah. go. Well, that was that's just was c- completely unreal for us to lose that that many motors going up in smoke. But uh, I'll tell you another thing too. We never was turning the motors as hard as we did last year. Yeah, we was we was turning up to 82, 8300, and I tell you what, uh, that's probably what was killing them. And uh, so this, if I get going this year again, I just gotta I just gotta see if I can make them so they don't have to quite get up that high yeah. and still be strong enough to uh, to that's, live that's crazy pushing those kind of rpms yeah, you're talking about I, i've heard it uh, anywhere's of 8500 to 9000 rpms yeah. what were you guys turning back in the day oh back uh, back in the flathead days and stuff like that you was probably turning probably less than what maybe 3800 4000 wow. at the most uh, i don't even think we ever got to 4000 but uh, i would have liked to i would have liked to seen uh, a, a chip, a chip rule come in, where where you you had to run like a uh, no more than an eight thousand chip, yeah. B- because you, you know if you turn any motor up to eight thousand and we're all equal and up to eight thousand, okay, 
uh, that's going to really make the competition really tough and and make it all competitive and more motors will live and not be not broke. Yeah, yeah every hundred RPMs, you're talking about another zero or you know another hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, yeah. three hundred dollars. When you're talking about building these engines that can last that long, yeah, you definitely save some money by putting a chip in it, and and it and it will make a bit of difference to the crowd when you you're out there running uh, around that 7,800 to 8,000. Uh, they won't see a bitter difference in the in the speed. I mean, it'll it'll be a a good competitive race, and it'll be easier on people's pocketbook. Well, your IMCA mods are running. Uh, what are they running? Seventy six hundred chip, I there, think, or something like go. that. There something like that. Yeah, we're, we're running down to the end of our time here, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to talk near about enough, but a half hour is not enough to talk about your career. I wanted to talk about something that is uh, obviously near and dear to a lot of people. Uh, veteran right you said you were drafted to go serve in korea that's right thank mm-hmm. you sir yep that's thank you thank you for having do you, me do you mind talking a little bit about your time in the war well right I, uh, have any racetracks in korea yeah well <laughs> it, it took me out of an awful nice race car i will say that i know you would have souped up a jeep if you would have got your hands on one. I, I was driving a car for the williams brothers out of shenandoah and, and it was a winner and uh yeah uh, yeah, and it took me off of that, and that's so all. I lost that ride. You said you got drafted, and I'm I'm currently watching a, a series on PBS about the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and drafting then was for the Vietnam War was much different than drafting for Korea. When you got drafted, you were probably like, okay, I'm going. Uh, let's go do this. I'll, I'll go do my two years or three years or whatever. It wasn't like it was in, in Vietnam where it was it was such an opposed war. Well. The, what I I got drafted uh, December 6, 1951, and uh, uh, got back out in November 23rd of of uh, 53, okay. and uh, I took my basic down to Fort Riley, Kansas, and then I, I went to Korea, and I was there for about a year, year a little over a year and a half, something like that, and and we all went by boat then, you know. And it, it took days and days to go each way across by boat. Oh, I bet. And uh, it, it uh, and I was so glad uh, that... that <laughs> Did you get seasick? No, no, I, I didn't. But, the, the, but there was 5,000 people on that. On that. There was oh, 3,000 Army t- and 2,000 Air Force on that ship. And there was an awful lot of them that was. And, and what branch were you? I was Army. You were Army? Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, foot soldier? Uh, infantry? Infantry, or? that kind of stuff? Just, 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 uh, I was around. Uh, grunt. Hmm? A grunt. Grunt. Yeah, that's all. That's all. Just, just, yeah, just, just. Well, don't ever face. say, don't ever say that's all. You did something that a lot of Americans don't do today, including me. I, I, I never signed up to serve and I never got drafted. So you've got my no, eternal gratitude. Well, well. I, I didn't want to go, but I wasn't going to refuse Well, but you did. I wasn't (laughs) refusing. You did. Thank you very much. Glenn, we do appreciate it. We can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. We're going to come back. We'll do it all again next weekend as we continue the Kaziski Auto Parts Legends of the Dirt Series here on the Front Stretch.